Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Rachel, you're on? you're on the road. I'm on the road. And then you hear my voice, so you know yeah. what's going on. It's, it's You know I'm having a good time. That's all that means. Yeah, you're doing your thing. Time. Don't you think that the voice thing is a concern? Don't don't do that to me. I'm just saying, like, don't like you can't go have a good time without getting your voice in a tangle. Isn't this something that should be looked into? Do they have things that you can do to strengthen your voice or to make your voice more formidable? Like you want me to go to a doctor because see, this is what you would do. You 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 you, yeah you know like any Uh, any concern like your anxiety will hit you and you like got to go get checked out. We talked about this. Ryan is the same way. Ryan is the exact same way as you. I bet he is. I mean, I can explain why my voice is like this. It's not Mm. just because I'm traveling. I've been at um, concerts. I Mm -hmm. announced Twenty One Pilots on the stage last night. It was like screaming to the audience. You know what I mean? Twenty One Pilots. Yeah, they were performed. Doja Cat performed. Um, so what did you say? So how did you announce it? Pink sweat. Well, here's the thing. Wait, wait. You just want to laugh nah. at me? Fine. No, no. Okay. I want, no, I want you to announce them. And now coming <laughs> to the stage to rock your socks off. I, I wish I would have said that. Put your hands together for Twenty One Pilots. Well, here's the thing. These people have been outside mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. It's freezing. It was raining and freezing when Doja Cat. And um, AJR and Pink Sweats performed, but this was, it was just cold, no rain. All right. They're standing out there. They've been out there since five o'clock. I come on the stage at nine o'clock and they're ready, right? They don't want to see another person except for 21 Pilots. So I'm just like, all right, football fans, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. Oh, yeah. In just a second or whatever I said, I was like, 21 Pilots will be taking the stage. They go crazy. You start to think they're cheering for you. So I was supposed to run out. I was supposed to just say, but first, check this performance out at the top of this building. But then I was like, wow, those are a lot of screams. And I go, so I just got one question for you guys. That's when I was like, are you ready? They go crazy. Mm-hmm. And I go, you guys, you know they're right there. You know they can hear you, right? And I was like, you got to go louder than that. They go wild. Mm-hmm. I start jumping up and down, pumping up my arms. And then I'm like, okay, but first... If I can direct your attention wow. to the screen, yeah. I, I, th- I heard some booze. I heard some right. booze. <laughs> right. But here's the thing. So people mm-hmm. have to understand. Apparently, a lot of artists want to do their own opening, and they don't right. want somebody announcing them or reading their bio. They want to do it their way. So it's a soft introduction so they can do their actual thing. Right. So it was great. I would like to introdu- introduce people with a measured in a measured way. I would like to say, like, Hey, look, you guys are here. Where else are you going to be? Look, you might like them. You might not. You never know with a performance, you know. They might give it their all or, you know, they might be hungover from the night before. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to get excited. You don't have to get excited. But if you want to get excited for 21 Pilots, about to take the stage right now. 21 Pilots is a band. You've heard of them before. 21 Pilots come out here. That's the way I would do it. I want to make sure that I don't oversell. I hate overselling. That's not your job. You ain't performing. Yes, I know, that's on, that's I, on them. But I want people to have 
realistic expectations for what they're gonna get. Cause like if I what if I if I jump up, they might lose faith in me. If I jump up and go crazy, right? And then Twenty One Pilots comes out and Twenty One Pilots sucks, then they might say, "Hey, Van told us to get excited for Twenty One Pilots, and Twenty One Pilots wasn't even into it." Wow, you're putting way too much thought in this, and you would never yeah, be asked to introduce anybody else after that. I'm Why here to that? say Twenty One Pilots was outstanding and it went even longer than they were supposed to go. I don't even know who they are. What do yeah, they sing? Yeah, you know, all my friends are. It's from Suicide Squad. Isn't that Marvel? I don't know. DC? Uh, Suicide Squad is DC, but what, what do they, <laughs> what do the 21 pilots It's do? like Which the theme they? song. They were like, sing, it's like the theme song behind it. All mm. my friends are heathen something. That okay. I, don't, I don't know them. I, I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I probably would know the songs if, are they like white rock band? Like two guys, but then they had like a oh a yeah, band and they them. yeah, and they 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 were at the Grammys in their underwear or something like that, or they came out. I don't know, but that I wouldn't be shocked. Twenty one pilots, twenty one yeah, pilots. Yeah, they were like, fantastic. It's like a lot of pilots. The, the the plane is not gonna get where it needs to go because you got too many people yelling directions. Anyway, oh um, gosh. so you're having fun out there, uh, in Indianapolis tonight is the college football playoff championship by the time this podcast airs for the peoples yes there will have been an actual winner in that game yes alabama versus georgia so what i need from you right now rachel even though people hate when we talk about football look i gotta go into this real quick they do some people hate when we talk about football it's a football is a savage sport there were i read some stuff on the reddit that said that the, remember the guy who sent out the tweet about John Madden? Oh, yeah. And, that we should have attacked that more intellectually and just not given our opinion on the tweet. We should have, I, I guess I guess we should have parsed through what he said about the dangers of football. Rachel, before we even talk about the game, what do you feel about the dangers of playing football? Well, I... <laughs> it's just such more of a it, it's a deeper I, I didn't want to on that subject when we were talking about it because I just feel like it's a deeper issue of the why but I personally and I actually said this this weekend I don't I'm not I don't plan on introducing football to my kids now if they eventually want to play I don't I'm not gonna stop them but I'm not gonna going to say and and I used to be this way. It's like, oh, I'm gonna put them in like popcorn or football, and like you know they're gonna play, and I can't wait to go to their games. And I want to see them in all positions so they can figure out what they're good at. I don't feel that way now. I do think that football is an extremely dangerous game, and I watch it especially after that movie Concussion. Even though I, we knew what CT is, but just like seeing the breakdown of it and the discovery, and then just the way that the league, you know, got was slow to recognize that. Even though they knew it was real, they didn't want to recognize it. I don't know. Just watching that. I'll never forget him having the jar and the brain in the jar with the water and showing what happens to the brain on impact. And it's like, you're not supposed to be hit that way. That was jarring to me. So for me personally, I don't want, I would like to not see my kids play, which I'm a hypocrite because I watch it. I will be attending the game tonight. I will be cheering on so i'm a hypocrite i know but if i can control something i would like for my child to not play you'd like for your child not to play football uh had a lot of fun playing football so it would be hard for me to say that i wouldn't want my kid to play football uh 
I don't really care whether or not my kids play sports or not. I think it's like, you know, it's great. I love for, for kids to play sports. I think it's, it's good for your social stuff. It's good for team building. It's good for that. But at the same time, now that I look at my life, it took so much time away from me where I could be doing other stuff, you know? Um, you 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 have something to say? Go ahead and no, say it, No, I'm Rachel. just saying, but as kids, you don't think like that, right? Like, kids, you don't think like that's that. That's you talking uh, about it as a 40-year-old man. Yeah, and now I'm addicted to sports, which I think is another <laughs> thing. I think because I'm addicted to sports, I'm not just addicted to watching sports. I'm addicted to still playing them. When I have time to fill in gaps in my life that I could be filling in by reading or 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 walking in nature or looking at birds or doing other things. I fill them in with, yo, I need a pickup game. Yo, I need to go box somebody. Yo, and it it becomes like this lifelong obsession. And you wonder sometimes if you're getting out of it what you're giving. And I might be, you know, you get physical fitness, you, you meet people, you yeah, I, I guess I do. I guess I do. It's a question. I was gonna say, literally on the podcast, you have talked about what playing in a basketball league did for you when you moved to LA and the people that it's you true. met and the lifelong friends that you've established. I mean, there's obvious, there's obviously positive things with sports with teamwork and, mm -hmm. and communication and the camaraderie of it. Plus yeah. the physical activity you're working physical out, activity. you know yeah. what I mean? It like teaches you certain things. So I get it. It's just that sport for me doesn't have to be football for the kids. But again, if they really want to play, I'm not going to stop them. I'll say this about football. I'll say this about specifically black American youths playing football. I think that for me personally, there are a couple of ways that you can at least try to mitigate the amount of damage that football does to your body. I've known a lot of football players that have done, that have done a lot of damage to their body, right? Number right. one, I would never allow a, a child of mine to play football before uh, the ninth grade. Now that might put them behind in their football career, but you just don't need to be taking shots to the head and hits to the head when you're nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. You know, you, you, you take the fewest amount of hits as possible. Hopefully the NFL, and I've watched a lot and read a lot on how they're dealing with CTE. Hopefully the NFL is uh, dedicated to funding different organizations who are trying to make the game safer. Now, there are different ways you do that. Uh, one is to introduce different different tackling techniques to the game, uh, changing the way people tackle. One might be helmet technology. One might be the elimination of the helmet. You never know. Um, and, and others might, yeah, there, there's this wacky group that believes taking the helmets away will make the game safer. It's it's the most fascinating. There's thing. no way. It, it's it's just, there's just no way. It's the most fascinating thing that you can watch. Anybody that's out there, you got some time to kill. Go uh, just type into YouTube, or there's there's a school of thought that removing the helmets from the game will make the hell will make the game more safer because the helmet itself is seen to some people as a battering ram, and it increases the likelihood that you're gonna go out there and smack somebody. And then that's going to jar your spine around and give you a concussion and all of that stuff like that. But I'll say all that to say this. Uh, look, it, uh, every single sporting league in America besides baseball, which doesn't exploit black Americans here, but exploits them, exploits black people in the islands and all over the place, uh, will get their primary workforce from young black males who 
don't have the financial incentive to go into other sort of uh, uh, occupations, right? It's a lot easier to see yourself as a football player than it is to see yourself as a small business owner, as a professional, because you don't see that many of those things around. And the NFL knows that and the coaches know that. And it's up to them to make sure that they continue to keep the talent pool wide so they don't care about people playing a dangerous game. As a football fan, there's a way to be a football fan responsibly. And then there's a way to be a football fan irresponsibly. Okay, Talk to me. Uh, So uh, being a responsible football fan is acknowledging that the game is dangerous and making sure that as you acknowledge that the game is dangerous, right, Mm -hmm. that you uh, impress upon the peoples and the higher ups, not only at the college level, but the high school level, the fact that you won't support a product that doesn't care at all about the safety of the players. It's up to to, by being a, a, a responsible football fan, it means you don't bemoan and like and bellyache about the fact that the game isn't as hard as anymore. You don't get mad at targeting calls. You don't get mad at things like that because those things are put there to make the game safer. And you have to, and that's with anything, but at the same time to those football players, a lot of them, this is their way out of poverty. So I understand the conundrum and I get it. My thing is, being that the game is such a big part of me, the game is a, was a big part of the relationship I had with my father. It's a big part of life in Louisiana. What I have to be, what I have to do, is be an advocate for the players that are playing in the game, an advocate for the players that want a safer game, an advocate for people who want to see football be safer. And if we get to a point to where we decide that football can't continue to exist as a sport, that it's too dangerous, then I have to be on the side of eliminating football from the American consciousness. And I'm not against sure. that. But, sure. I'm, but I'm saying right now. I'm watching the game tonight, baby. So who's your, what's your prediction? What's your prediction? I can't see it being any different than it was a couple of weeks ago. Really? Even though they say it's harder to beat a team twice. It's harder to beat. It's yeah. It's harder to beat a team twice, but I guess (laughs) for me, in case you guys don't know, Alabama played, played Georgia in the SEC championship game. And it was slaughterific. Um, so for me, I don't see much being different here. I saw what Georgia did to Michigan, and I would like to believe that, uh, something clicked and that Stetson Bennett, who's quarterback of Georgia, found something that they were able to see something on tape that they liked and that they'll come out and it'll be different. I think the game will be a tighter game, but Arkansas dominated them. They dominated them. So I, I, I don't see what will be different. What do you think? I want to see Georgia win. And that's just because I'm a little bit of an Alabama hater. I like I the like change up. I was at the championship, national championship game, 2018, when it was Georgia versus Alabama in Georgia. It was a big deal. Georgia was winning. And then all of a sudden, you know, they benched, they benched Jalen. They brought in two, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, um, he threw that touchdown and it was at the last, I mean, literally I had turned and then bam, they were scoring a touchdown, won the game. Alabama won the game. So I'm hoping like this, this is a rematch. Hopefully Georgia can take it this time. Um, and I just like to see the underdog win unless it's my team, unless it's my team. You yeah. Know, you know, Alabama's been going as Greg McElroy pointed out to me when I was moderating a panel the other day, they've been going on this journey since 2009 when they beat the Texas Longhorns. Mm-hmm. It was a dagger when he's like, oh, my most memorable game is when we did this. So 
It's that's 13 years later. It's time. Let's change it up. Change it's the it last up. time. It was the last time Texas was there. Yes, I remember. Yeah. LSU's been twice since. Texas was, that was the last time Texas was viable. Okay, but we went four years before that, so stop. Yeah, and LSU stop. went in 03, so just, we've stop. had more success. Stop. The, tr- it, the conversation didn't need to turn there. We're talking about it, Alabama is it, tr- is it true or not that no. we've had more success? No. What's okay. the topic? Remember, they hate when we talk football. Well, they, they hate when we talk about it. <laughs> hey, guess what? But guess what? But also, you know what? And I'll say all that and I understand the football, but also... Thought Warriors, man, don't be fucking wet blankets all the time, man. I'm see, I love you guys, but don't, don't fucking well, be fucking wet blanket. A nigga likes football, all right. But I'm here's tell- the thing, though, I'm telling no, no, I'm telling you person. that it's, it's a problem. It's it's a nigga likes football. You know what else I like? I like fucking brownies. I shouldn't be eating them. Listen, as a person who gets a lot of criticism publicly. You're not going to please everybody. So it's okay that some people don't like that we talk sports sometimes. Just like some people might not like when we talk about other things, whatever it may be. So it's okay. It's okay. Speaking of things that are divisive to the audience, Trudy! (laughs) Trudy, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I want to ask you a question on the (laughs) hills of the whole fresh and fit debacle that we just talked about. What? We're still hearing that? <sighs> We're not talking about it anymore. We're talking about it specifically. Trudy, you're what I like to call a yow. A, a young, what? a yow. What is a yow? A <laughs> young, I like the way that sounds. I know. A yow. That's what I call them. I've always called him this since college. A yow. A young African-American woman. Yows. That's what you are. Do you do you do you personally believe, Trudy, as a young African-American woman, a yow, that you see young black men who are migrating and moving towards dating white women? more than you do you feel the love from the brothers as a young african-american woman yes i personally do but Mm. i will say that i so you asked me when this first started like what my red flags were and i gave you two you know kind of hot button ones but my third red flag is if a, because I'm my father is dark skin, my father is Haitian, my mom is black and Filipino, so I ended up somewhere in the middle. Um, and so my complexion is lighter. And so there are men that say, Oh, you know, you're light skinned, so like I'll date you. That's always been my experience. And when that happens, if that happens, that to me is a red flag. And that's like a guy that I would not, do not want to date. I don't want to be your friend. I don't want any of that. So (laughs) I think that my experience is that they make me like a token and you're just like, wouldn't even want that type of guy around us, so. So your mom is black and Filipino? hmm That's all he heard out of what you said, Trudy. So, oh my God. God. I heard it all. No, I heard it all. I heard it all. I heard it all. But I have to ask you a question. So yes. then your mother's 
So then your grandparents, one of them is black and one of them is Filipino. So, so my mom's grandfather is a Filipino, like was in the Navy or something like that, I want to say. Um, and then her grandmother is black and white, but she looks like if you would see a picture of her, we call her Big Mob. Big Mob probably looks like a white woman to most people. Wow. Uh, you, you said it like it's a stat. She looks like a white woman, like like it's something. Yes, yeah, she she's giving you a description. I can't believe you. So the the point that Fresh and Fit made was that women having preferences it's the same as men having preferences. So whereas a guy might tell you that, you know, he feels a certain way about women based upon skin tone, that. Uh, that is the same as you saying that you don't want a guy with a, a suspect hairline. What do you say to that? First off, that's the most low IQ comparison I have ever heard. The two are not even in the same stratosphere mm -hmm. and fresh and fit or whatever. I couldn't figure out if it was fit and fresh or fresh and fit. First off, that's a dumbass name for a podcast. Um, but number two, I just feel like that, to even put the two in the same wheelhouse is just making a concerted effort to like misunderstand what a preference actually is like the hairline and all that. Like that's a preference. I think Rachel said it best um, last week that they are using preference as like a, a mystique to really say like, you really don't like black women. You're repulsed by black women. Like that's what it is. I'm not repulsed by like a crooked hairline. <laughs> And they're trash, period. She said crooked. She said... <laughs> Last thing for That's Trudy. even worse. Trudy, crooked is, is worse than no airline. <laughs> <That's... laughs> it's, just, it's just tough. It's I just can't tough. get the visual out of my head. It's just tough. The whole, all of it's tough. Last thing for Trudy. Yes. Uh, uh, this comes from JE619. I've been crushing on this guy from at the gym from afar. We speak because he's we literally see each other almost every day. He's tall, dark, handsome, tatted, very friendly to everyone, nice smile, and has great vibes. Granted, I don't even know his name, status, etc. But you know, in my mind, we go together. Today, he took off his hat. My first <laughs> almost dropped my coffee. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen. Listen to what you've done. Listen to what's happening here. Today, he took off his hat. And my first instinct was to look at his hairline. It's not terrible, but he's definitely not bald by choice. We still go together, though, from afar. Truly. <laughs> There's says. a couple of things. From afar? Like, so this is like her boyfriend in her head. Yes. It's her boyfriend in her head. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So... Trudy, just to let you know, this guy is tall, dark, handsome, tatted. He's friendly, has a nice smile and great vibes. But this lady is putting him off. Like she is having negative energy towards him because of a hat. I submit right now, Trudy, your superficial nature 
is stopping black women from finding happiness. So let me just say, you got to be the captain. You got to be the captain of your own ship. Like if that was me, he's checking all the boxes, whatever. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go on a date with you because maybe the attraction will grow for me. Like it's happened. I honestly, I'm going to keep it funky. And this might be something that people are like, what? Or like girls will apply to. But I like my niggas a little ugly. I don't want to date nobody that's too fine because that is just not what I'm interested in. So I feel like if you got the hairline's a little suspect, I feel, and everything else is on point, don't block your blessing and go on a date and maybe you'll see, you'll find something amazing about him. Because you can go on a date with a guy with the perfect hairline and then he chews funny. Like anything can happen. He chews funny? Yes. You know, some people that just... The tongue, they, they like, I can't, it's like the saliva. I know exactly what you're saying. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. So there are more, there are worse things in the world than a hairline. I wouldn't let the hairline stop me from going on a date. But I said, if you met me in the club and came up to me, that would have been my first thought. And I would have had to just rely on my laser vision. So before we move on from this fucking ridiculous (laughs) shit that you're talking right now, I just want to. When you say when you say you like your niggas a little ugly, a little ugly. I wanna, I want, I want you to explain why, and I want to know if the women that are listening to the podcast feel the same way. You say you like your niggas a little ugly, just a little bit. What does that mean, and why? Ah, oh, man, because I feel like I've dated like a super, super fine guy before and whatever. And I just feel like you, like he thought he was prettier than me and it was a problem for me. I like, I didn't like it. It was, it was like two divas in the room and somebody has to, one person can be the diva, the other person can't be the diva. It can't be two divas in a relationship. So I didn't like it for that reason. I also, niggas a little ugly. I feel like they just tend to have like better personalities and I'm here for like a strong 7.5 7.5 leaning more towards the eight neighborhood with an amazing personality. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let me tell you something. Oh, first of all, Rachel knew. First off, she I know what you mean. It's more of like a pretty boy mentality. Yes. Right? Because you can be attractive but not carry yourself in a way where you just know you're the shit or think you're the prettiest person in the room. And I know what you mean about them not being as attractive because here's the thing. They have better personalities sometimes because they have to work for it. Right. Yes. As opposed to people who are just like beautiful or attractive. They're used to people coming to them. They don't have to try hard. Right. Because they're just pretty. Whereas somebody else might have a better personality because they got to work for it. They got to put in work. They got to show you that they working with more than just their appearance. I get you, Trudy. I got Period. You. And I'm gonna keep it funky. When we go on a date, don't ask me to flick you up because that's happened. And I feel like it tends to happen with to what? They asked me to flick them up. Can you catch this pic right here? Ooh, like this literally happened in Santa Monica. That is new generation. That is new generation. Oh, it was the younger horrible. Generation. I want my I, my soul wanted to evaporate. Like it was it was horrible. So you go on a date with a guy. He asked you to take a picture of him. Huge red flag. No, no, no. Flick him up. That's what different. Is, what is flick him flick up? Flick him mean? up is a full on like photo shoot. Yeah, for for the for the gram. For the gram. And I don't even yeah. get photo cred. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even get photo credit. You know what? You're getting no credit. You've, you've made my skin crawl with your opinions. I call you know, that they, they, like you've 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 upset me, and now you must go. Trudy, thank you for joining us right now, Trudy's Corner. Trudy's Corner. 
Love it or hate it, it's here to stay, baby. <laughs> okay, treat for you guys. We have an, actually a very, very special guest joining us today on Higher Learning. He is the Secretary of Education, an actual real-life cabinet member, member here on Higher Learning. Dr. Miguel Cardona is going to join us on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, higher learning. We have a very special guest joining us today. Extremely special. I mean, this is very official. We have the, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of it's 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 weird that we have a member of the cabinet. We have the the, the, uh, the 12th secretary of education. Wow. That's a big He's gift for us. Out. Dr. Miguel Cardona <laughs> uh, is joining us today on Higher Learning. Doc, thank you so much for joining us. This is a big honor and a big treat for us to have you in the house today, man. Thanks. Honor to be with you. Glad to be a part of the festivities this weekend and uh, happy to be with you for for, a, for an interview, yeah. Okay, so in case you guys don't know, I am here in LA. Rach is actually there in the same room uh, with Dr. Cordona. So because of that, Rach, uh, go ahead and, and kick it off. You guys are sitting right across. This is very meta, very meta. It's like I'm watching them, and and I'm but I'm also uh, like taking part very very meta so uh rach you go ahead and get started and i'll come in with my second question after after you yeah well i think that it would be great for our audience to just get to know one we're here right now it's the college football playoff weekend but i'm an ambassador for the college football playoff foundation and through that it's the foundation's all about empowering uplifting inspiring educators and um, so it's a really fun weekend to celebrate our teachers and you are a part of this, which is such a huge deal. I've been doing this for four years. It's a very, very big deal. So if you can just talk a little bit about one, why you're here, but then also how you got to this place mm -hmm. to being a part of the cabinet, to being the secretary of education. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. First of all, once a teacher, always a teacher. You know, I was a fourth grade teacher. I loved it. Uh, and it, my values haven't changed. Mm -hmm. uh, so to be able to be here today to celebrate teachers, to honor them for their hard work, yeah. not just during the pandemic, but, you know, we know teachers bend over backwards for their kids. They love their kids. They do whatever they need to do. So 
when I was given an opportunity to be here to celebrate with them, to help empower our teachers, I said, of course I'm going to be here. So I've had a great weekend hanging out with these teachers of the year, celebrating their successes, talking about what we need to do moving forward in education. Mm-hmm. For me, I I went into teaching because uh, I, I went to a high school, a technical high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I studied automotive. And I had a teacher tap me on the shoulder and say, would you ever consider a career in teaching? And I was like, wow, that was the first time somebody asked me that. So I went in, I, I wanted to be an art teacher at first, and then I gravitated toward elementary, loved it. And honestly, I've been blessed with opportunities. I was a principal, uh, and then I served in that same community as an assistant superintendent, uh, really focusing on closing achievement disparities, making sure all students have uh, opportunities to succeed. And then um, the governor called me in Connecticut and asked if I could lead the state. So I was like, of course. So I did that, it was amazing. And then the pandemic hit, we worked really hard to reopen our schools safely because we know schools are closed, achievement gaps are gonna get worse. So um, we did that, we grinded there. And then it got the attention of the President Biden and I was asked to serve as Secretary of Education I'm here today. Wow. Got the attention of the President. So, (laughs) President Biden. President Biden, it's hard to get his attention sometimes. You know, he got, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to, he's the president. There's just a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Um, okay, let's, let's start, let's start right there. Uh, I don't know if you can see me right now, but I'm black. You know, I'm a, I'm a black person. Uh, so I definitely care about some of the disparities that we see um, in test scores between white students and black and Latino students. And because I know in my heart that these are bright kids that we are dealing with, I am incredibly concerned with the fact that these disparities exist. How do we attack this issue? Because outcomes in America are definitely going to be con- connected to these disparities in 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 achievement between these students that that really need our help. What do you think that comes from and how do we address it? Thanks for that. You know, I I stay passionate in education because as a Latino and a father, I have two two children in high school, Mm. public high school. I want to make sure that the work that I do changes the trajectory of students like mine and like students that look like my children. In America today, race and place are better indicators of where you're going to end up, sadly, than many other indicators. We we have to have a level of urgency in this country about that that we currently don't have. So for me, what that translates into is ensuring that all of our students have access to career and college pathway programs, that they have access to affordable college, that they have access to high-quality teachers, high-quality, rigorous content, um, and high standards. We need to have people in front of the classroom that believe that all children can achieve, and we need to make sure that our systems are working for our students, keeping the students at the center of it. Um, you know, I could go into some of the things that we've done to ensure, especially with this pandemic, right? You know, everybody's talking about school reopening. Sure. Why is school reopening so important? Because students that look like you, Van, are more likely to fall behind if our schools are closed. So for us, if we're not reopening our schools safely and doing everything we can, we're making the gap worse. That's the reality. So my push the first several months of uh, Secretary of Education is to safely reopen schools because unfortunately, 
being out of school affects some students more than others. Mm -hmm. So we got to start there, but we can't stop there. Uh, we know before the pandemic, there were gaps. So we got to do more to be honest about it, be open about it, and say we're going to address it by putting more resources to those students that need it the most. Mm -hmm. mm. I know that your job is hard, period. Yeah. But right now, education yeah. is it's a, it's a huge topic just because of what you were saying with COVID and about reopening schools, but also because everybody is talking about critical race theory without even actually understanding what it is. And it's not even being taught in our classrooms. And I'm from Texas. And if you're watching what's happening in Texas mm -hmm. on all levels, it's just, it's just getting wild down there. And one of the issues also is that they have these bills that they're proposing where right. they want to remove books from school libraries. I'm just wondering on the federal level, how do you plan? Because education is going to be a hot issue right. coming up in 2024 as well. Right. Is there a plan? What is kind of your take on that? If you, as much as you can say sure, in regards sure. to it. Look, you know, statutorily, Secretary of Education, Department of Education has no role in curriculum. Mm -hmm. That's a state and local issue. When I was commissioner, I had more role there. When I was in a state uh, city level just, uh, assistant superintendent, I have more of a role there. But what I can tell you as an educator sitting in the role of Secretary of Education is if we're serious about engaging all students, we need to make sure that they're exposed to curriculum where they can see themselves. I, I talk about uh, Dr. Rudin Sims Bishop. She talks about windows, uh, mirrors, and sliding glass doors. Curriculum should be a window into other cultures. Mm -hmm. It should be a mirror so that when my children are reading a book, they could see people that look like them that have contributed to this country's growth. And sliding glass doors where I could take a walk into another culture through literature. That's good education. And I trust that teachers across the country get that. Yeah. You know, it's become politicized. I'm not going to lie. But I don't, I don't walk into that narrative. I keep it on mine. We know what to do, educators. We know how to meet our students' needs. We know how to engage our students. Um, and we need to trust our educators to do their jobs. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I know that a lot of the things that have to do with the quality of learning that kids get, uh, there are issues that overlap. For example, I know kids in rural areas in Louisiana and South Carolina and places where I'm from, uh, I'm from Louisiana and South Carolina, a place where I have a lot of friends and relatives that don't have the same access, access to high speed internet um, to be able to actually do some of the assignments that they have right now. And this goes all the way up to the collegiate level. How does the, for people that are wondering about those types of things, that's like an infrastructure thing, right? That's like a, a different, but might not be in the wheelhouse of the Department of Education. How do you guys work with other areas of the government to make sure that kids have things that they need all over the place so they can even have close to an equal playing field in some of these issues? So I remember a month after the pandemic hit, right? April, 2020, I called two superintendents in Connecticut. One of them was from a very affluent community. I said, how's it going? He goes, we're good. We just flipped the switch. Every kid has an iMac. Um, they have broadband internet. They have quality curriculum on the other side of the screen. I called another superintendent from a more uh, uh, impoverished community. Um, many students would call. I said, how's it going? Four weeks after the pandemic hit, I still haven't reached all my kids. I don't know where they are. So you're absolutely right. This is an issue that we have to address as a country. The internet should be as common as a pencil in our schools, in our community. It's no longer a luxury, not only for academics, 
but for uh, many families uh, go see their doctors through that telehealth. Mm -hmm. But to your point, yes, we are working as whole of government to make sure that the infrastructure plan addresses bandwidth needs in those communities that don't have it. Um, so that all students can have access to internet, high quality internet. Um, that's part of the infrastructure plan that President Biden put forward. So it does benefit our kids. But I'm gonna go a step further, Van. The infrastructure plan is gonna help in a lot of our communities, including 400,000 schools and over 10 million households. They don't even have pipes that are lead free. Mm. Think about the communities that affects the most too. When we have lead pipes in our communities, lack of bandwidth, this infrastructure plan will help children, will help families, will help schools. Can you talk a little bit more about, because I feel like sometimes we get lost in maybe the, the politics of things and we don't understand necessarily what's being put out there in regards to, and I'm going to say it wrong, build back better. Build better. Did I get it? Oh, I mess it up every single time. Build back better, yeah. Build, so first, yeah, you got it right. The build back better plan, what sure. has been done in regards to um, helping teachers and educators in our school systems? Yeah, if you think about the infrastructure plan as like fixing pipes and internet and bridges and stuff like that that's think of the infrastructure plan like that the build back better is helping the family infrastructure mm -hmm. child care um, access to um, health uh, health care um, schools so what it's doing for schools in addition to promoting early childhood education for three and four year olds uh, across the country, which is a game changer when it comes to closing achievement gaps. It's also providing funds to support teachers. We talk a lot about supporting teachers. Mm -hmm. well, what does that mean? Well, the president put forward something that actually puts money to it. Um, there's uh, about a half a billion dollars to support teacher pipeline programs to promote diversity in education, professional development. We talk a lot about making sure we're supporting our students. What are we doing to support our teachers so they can support our students? All our teachers now have to bring students in that have had trauma over the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. How are we supporting our teachers and their, their capacity to be able to meet those needs of those students? Um, and we're also funding institutions like HBCUs that are uh, creating programs to develop teachers too. So there, there are real dollars in this Build Back Better plan to support teachers, but also to support families. That's cool. All right. Uh, so I know we don't have... A, 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 an infinite amount of time with you. So I'm going to ask you a double whammy of questions right here. Okay. It's easier, a little easier here. All right. Now you've, you're a teacher and you were a principal. I worked my ass off Dr. Cardona in high school to understand algebra, trigonometry and all of those things. And guess what? I never use it. I never use it. I just want you to answer this question. Yes or no. Be real from the Secretary of Education. We don't need algebra, do we? Let's keep it real. Let's keep it gangster. Let's keep it gangster, Dr. Cardona. Let's keep it gangster. We don't need algebra. We don't like, we like just, just, I just want you to be really like, like, look, it's something cool can we keep and it's something nice. Can we keep pre-algebra? Like, we can keep pre-algebra. Pre-algebra is fine. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like pre-algebra is fine, but let's let's keep it real. Like like, what am I doing here, man? Like, I, I, we'll we'll really need it. Be honest. No, I hear you, man. So let me give you a, let me give you a twofer. Okay. But how about we keep the calculus? We keep high rigorous standards because we're going to be the top in the world, not just top in the country. We're going to be the top in the world, and we need our scientists to get people on Mars before anybody else. We're going to keep that, but we're also going to increase, which is what I hear you saying. We need to increase increase financial literacy. 
and practical uses for how to use math, how to balance a checkbook, how to oh. invest, how to pay for your mortgage. I got credit you. score, credit score, like keeping credit track score. of a credit score, <laughs> understanding what's gonna. Those are the things, Doctor Cardona. You know what? You have you thought about what you're gonna do in 2024? Maybe take a shot at the presidency because <laughs> with the way you're talking right now. But I hear you, and I heard it. Not only do I hear it from you, I hear it from everyone. I hear it from my own children. Yeah. So we need to really be real about preparing our students for life after high school, which means the workforce, college, and life, right? And and that includes credit scores and how to calculate it, how to keep it good. Totally with you there. Okay, we time for one more question. I have to ask All this. Right. We talked about it a lot on the podcast. It affects me personally. Where are we with student loans? Yes, yes, and you know. It's from day one when the president took office um, and when I was hired, mm-hmm. it was very clear, stu- we got to be student-centered at the Department of Education. There's a program called Public Service Loan Forgiveness. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that program. Let me write it down. Public Service Loan <laughs> Forgiveness. Before I was hired, 98% of the students that asked for loan forgiveness were denied. 98%. It's broken. Yeah. So we're fixing it. Just in the last three months, there was about $3 billion in loan forgiveness just out of that program. We're fixing it. It's for teachers, for nurses, for veterans. If you did uh, 10 years of paying loans and you're working, serving in the public, like those jobs, your loans will be forgiven. Mm-hmm. There was mm. about $13 billion total in loan forgiveness for people with total ter- uh, permanent disabilities. People that were taken advantage of by their schools. Like, you know, you heard of ITT and yeah. what they did. Yeah. 35% of their students are black students. We wiped out the debt of the students that were in there. We are on a mission to put students first. Now we're not totally done. I mean, he's been president not even a year yet. We're not done. We're still having conversations about more broad um, loan forgiveness, but over $13 billion already in loan forgiveness from day one. We're trying to make it so that our students are first. And we also wanna fix the issue so that five years from now, we're not in the same position where so many people are in debt. So we got you, we're gonna continue working for you and for so many of those students who have a lot of debt. I need a part-time public service job now. We're gonna we're gonna hook you up a public service loan forgiveness. Check it out. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Cardona. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Cardona, thank you so much for joining oh, us yeah, today on no, Higher Learning. Yeah. I know I was gonna I was I was gonna ask you what your favorite HBCU is. Uh, but that's okay. I know it's Southern University in Baton Rouge, where I'm from. I know that's your of favorite course. HBCU. He's on the record. He's on the record. He's on the record. He's on the record. I love all. Thank you so much for joining us today on Higher Learning. Um, very important work that you do, and we are we're with you, man. We're with you. Thank you for thank for your you. time. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. All right. Uh, sad, 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 sad stuff happening over the last couple of days. When I tell you sad stuff, I mean sad stuff happening over the the last couple of days. We lost an absolute giant um, in entertainment, someone whose importance cannot be overstated. His name was Sidney Poitier. He was the first black man to win the Best Actor Academy Award. He uh, was an activist. He was a genius. He was and is and remains and always will be a legend. He died at the age of 94, a life insanely well-lived. He wore, he won the Best Actor Academy Award in 1963 for an amazing film called Lilies in the Field. And he made it 
his job, his goal to attack roles that had social commentary in them. It was part of what Sidney Poitier's life was about uh, growing up. Sidney Poitier, for me, was somebody who was revered alongside of all the greats in the civil civil rights era. My parents show me, guess who's coming to dinner? We watch Lilies in the Field. We watch A Raisin in the Sun. We watch Uptown Saturday Night. We watch Let's Do It Again. We watch all of these films. Uh, and we enjoyed paying homage to this amazing performer who meant so much more uh, to us than just an actor. So we have to say uh, rest in peace to Sydney Portier, Rachel. When you heard this, what did you think? Um, Sidney Portier was 94. And I just thought about his life. Like, what a life, you know? And hearing you say that you grew up, your parents having you watch movies, same with me. I think many Black people share the same sentiments as you, that they grew up learning about who Sidney Portier was through watching his films. We watched, we all watched them. Um, I remember being young, not wanting to watch. And then my mom's like telling me how important it is. And then me getting older and, and appreciating that my parents instilled that in me because they recognize the importance and the impact of him. Um, you know, it's interesting when you talk too about the roles that he took, because he's also spoken about how he would have liked to have taken other roles. And because he was the first, because he was a trailblazer breaking down those doors, he couldn't, he didn't have the same luxury that actors after him that have, that, um, that have had. And it's really interesting too, to see uh, the tributes from black actors and black actresses talk about the importance of Sydney in their life and how he impacted them. I was watching a montage that was put together of Denzel talking about the very first time that he met him in a bookstore. And how, although he didn't get a job from Sydney, he got his time. And he took the time to talk to him and about the business and about acting. And then a full circle moment, you know, they end up both getting Oscars on the same night. So um, it, it's just really beautiful to, to learn about him, too, through other people's eyes and, and what he meant. And uh, just to reflect on his life, you know, not that we ever forgot. And uh, maybe maybe it's a reminder that we need to do it more often. Right. Think about those people who have made such a difference and made it easier for you and me in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, you can't really overstate what the guy meant to black culture and black culture, which is American culture. You know, um, you think about it being 1963 when he broke that door down. That's amazing, man. This this. It's a life well lived, but. You know, I, I was I was sad, man. I was sad to I never got a chance to tell Sidney Poitier how much he meant to me, and he meant a lot. I saw him one time. Where? Tell the story. He, he was going into uh he was going into a restaurant. And were you TMZ? No, 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 no. I was just going to a restaurant, you know. I got to see a lot of cool older brothers around Beverly Hills at T when I was working for TMZ, but I just saw Sydney. He was going into a restaurant and I was like, Jesus. Like he looked like a piece of art. I was like, <laughs> man, that's Sydney 48. My God, what the hell? 
Like, what do I say? What, what, like, what do you say to you know, Sydney Fortier? Like, what do you say? I was, hey, hello, sir. How are you? Hello, young man. It goes into the thing, you know. But I got to see a couple of guys. I saw Billy D. Williams driving in his car around one time. William December Williams. I just these. I just wish, really, more than anything. And I don't know that if there's a way to do it. I just wish and hope that these individuals know how much they mean to us, man. Yeah, I think they do. I, okay. I I just I I hope that Sydney more than anything. I hope that Sydney know knew how much he meant to us, man. I, I really do. I really hope that. Um, uh, more terrible news yesterday. Uh, we lost a couple of people. James M. Tume, legendary jazz and R and B musician. You guys, if you guys have ever heard the song "Juicy" by the Notorious B.I.G., then you know, uh, you know his work because the original "Juicy" um, uh, was uh, he he wrote and produced the song. He wrote and produced the song, but he was a, a legendary jazz and R and B musician. Uh, he he was uh, part of the group, the R and B group in Tume. It's like my, my mom used to love them. Uh, hear the music all the time he passed away uh along with bob saget who died at just 65 danny tanner man that's super duper sad i don't want to say what's going on and all of this stuff but god damn life has taken a chunk out of our ass these last couple of months man these last couple of years it's like, God damn! It's almost like I saw I saw DJ Paul, <laughs> I saw DJ Paul say something, and there are no uh, details on Bob Saget's death. So the the only thing that's left is to say, you know, uh, rest in peace to his family. I know I have friends that he was very close to, and everyone has great and amazing memories of Bob Saget. But I saw DJ Paul say something on on Instagram yesterday and it, it made me laugh even though it was a sad thing he said man I got on Instagram back in 2012 because people told me it was a bunch of people clowning and naked girls on here he's like now it's nothing but a page for saying rip to people and I'm like I know that there's he's clowning how he feels in in humor but my God, what he's really saying is just being bombarded with with bad news. <laughs> like just being bombarded with bad news. It's tough. It just seems like though, when you hear about one, it just keeps going and going. And I know that people say that before, but I think it's like it just all happened so quickly. Especially last night too with Bob Saget. I thought I was dreaming. Now I was a little drunk. But I thought that I was making it up. I was confused. Even when I woke up this morning, I was confused. I was like, did that really happen? And I was trying to find out the details on it. And it does seem like it was something that was just so sudden. And then, of course, I got caught up in looking at what he meant to people. You know, I was looking at a video with Tiffany Haddish had him on recently. I didn't know he was, he said something to her that was very influential to her at the beginning of her year. And it's, you know, I we grew up with Bob Saget as um, 
uh, the dad, Danny Tanner from Full House. And that's all I really knew of him. It wasn't until I got older that I realized, you know, he's won an Academy Award before. He's really been influential on the scene. And so many comedians, old and young, respected him, went to him for advice. Um, so, yeah, it uh, it's, again, it's the same thing I said with Sydney. It's like you start going down the life of... Um, Hold on, as I'm as I'm sitting here talking, CNN just said um, Bob Saget. <clears throat> they find no uh, autopsy finds no evidence of drug use or foul play. Um, medical examiner says so. The cause of death is still pending. Mm. But no, it's I was just saying. You mean when you said when you said he he won a Grammy award is what you mean? Was it a Grammy? Okay, my Grammy. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, he won a Grammy. I had yeah. no idea, no idea that he won a Grammy, but um. No, I just was saying the same thing I said with Sydney is that, you know, sometimes you just you forget how the impact that people have doesn't mean that you don't respect it. It's just you get caught up in your life and you forget what they meant to you or what they've meant to other people and how what a difference that they made. So anyways, he was super influential um, and uh, behind a lot of people's careers. So, you know, rest in peace, Bob Saget. And it looks it looks like he was nominated for a Grammy Award. Okay, so shout out to Bob. He's somewhere laughing at us right now. He went from winning an Academy Award to winning a, uh, to winning the Grammy Award to having been nominated for. He won a student Oscar. That must a have been what I Student Oscar. I see. I see. Well, we just want to give him everything. Okay, he was a talented, yeah. talented, amazing, and very nice guy. I was able to meet very diverse. Yeah. Was able to meet Bob Saget uh, over at the Wheelhouse Mansion a couple of times. Great guy, very funny guy. Funny in a way that you wouldn't have expected. You know, we all know now that Bob Saget uh, wasn't exactly Danny Tanner in terms of the wholesomeness. He was a little bit more of an edgy comic, but he really did go there. Whenever you met him, he was a funny dude. Sweet but guy. who put Sweet that guy. out there? Because I feel like I don't know. Did he do a special or what? Because it... he did a couple of specials. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, like. It's like he went from the Danny Tanner image to all of a sudden they were like, Bob Saget is like the, one of the dirtiest comedians ever. And I was like, yeah. when, did that, when did it happen after a special? Did somebody say it in an interview? I can't remember, but I remember everyone being so shocked. All right, so rest in peace to James, rest in peace to Bob, rest in peace to Sidney Poitier. Let's take a break. All right, three men have been sentenced to life in prison for the Ahmaud Arbery killings. Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, uh, and their neighbor, William Bryan, 35 years old. Travis McMichael is. Gregory McMichael is 66. William Bryan is 52. They were convicted of murder uh, back in November. Um, They have now been, they've now been given uh, life in prison, the three of them. Uh, uh, One only, one of them has the possibility of parole. So uh, Travis McMichael and his dad, um, both got life in prison without the possibility of parole, but uh, their neighbor, William Bryan, uh, got lesser sentence with life with the possibility of parole for murdering Ahmad Arbery. So, at least illegally, this is finished. They could appeal. Interesting. Tell us. I think I think I, I read that. And I don't, I don't, you know, they'll be coming after me. Mm-hmm. They might try to appeal. I'm sure they. I'm sure they'll try to appeal, but. But I mean, yeah. like legally, 
it's not over if they appeal. And, you know, the, I mean, the decision could be like they keep what what, you know, the court decided, but it's not over over, you know, but at least we have at least we know what the sentencing is in this case. You don't have to wonder about that. So, yes, parts of it in some ways. Yes. But legally, so, no. To to that end. You want justice, you want the legal system to, to run its course. So I guess the question becomes, and so many of these things are in our faces now. So now what do we do? Do we move on? It's hard. Like I understand. So understand what I'm trying to ask this. I'm asking this question to the audience as well. I'm just at a weird point in my life where it's just hard to move on. Um, I know you have to move on, but yeah, they get to spend the rest of their life in jail and maybe they will, maybe they won't, maybe something will happen on appeal, but they killed him. I guess this is the way life is. Like there's, I, I don't know. You're searching for something that you're never going to get because the only way you're going to feel right is if he was still here with us. You know what I mean? And it's like, so you're never going to feel satisfied with that. They with If they all got life, if they got the death sentence, because it doesn't bring him back. And I think that's what's the tough pill to swallow. And you're looking at this family and you're watching them give their statements. And it's heartbreaking. I, I, I should not have watched, but I saw a portion of the dad talking and saying that, you know, I watched this man sit next to his son this entire trial, and I thought, I'm never going to get to do that. That's tough to watch. So I think to answer your question, you're right in how you feel, and I think so many of us feel that way. And I think the only thing you can do is keep going, but keep fighting for accountability when something, a tragedy like this happens again. You know, as a community, we were very involved with what was happening with when we saw the video, making sure that they were held accountable, paying attention to the trial. You know what I mean? We're, we're big about the prosecutor who was initially involved, getting her removed because she was friendly with them. So I think that that's all you can do is um, not forget Ahmad and anybody else who has lost their life in such a tragic way and then continue to fight that the people who do these terrible things are held accountable. That's all you can do. And I know that doesn't make you feel any better. I mean, no, look, I mean, it's, 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 it's just sadly, that is the reality. Yeah, that's definitely the reality. Okay. But let's um, not forget, let's not forget. Amon. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not forget Amon. Yeah, for sure. And you know, we wanted justice and justice was served, but it seems hollow. Um, you know, when, these things continue to happen. Um, so it's, it's, we've long suspected something that I think now has been pretty well established. Urban Meyer, former coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Florida Gators, the Utah Utes, and most recently the Jacksonville Jaguars, is the biggest piece of fucking shit that has existed in a long time in coaching circles. He's fucked in the head. 
All right. There was a guy that I want you guys to look up. His name is Bobby Petrino. He's the former coach of the Louisville Cardinals and the, and the Arkansas Razorbacks and the uh, the Atlanta Falcons. He's a big fucking piece of shit. Urban Meyer is even the biggest, bigger piece of shit. It was alleged that Urban Meyer used a photo of Trayvon Martin to implement a no hoodie policy with the Ohio State Buckeye University's football team. Going through slides, they say no hoodies. Picture of Trayvon Martin pops up. Now, Urban Meyer initially denied these reports. He's recanted his statements. His statements. Um, uh, former Ohio State defensive back Marcus Williams's detailed the incident um, on Twitter to where he elaborated how educational institutions mistreat black student athletes. All right. In his tweets, he also called out Urban Meyer. Now, Urban Meyer says uh, that a support staffer is actually the one that was responsible for it. But at first he denied that it ever happened. And now he admits that it actually did happen. That at Ohio State University, they used a picture of Trayvon Martin to enforce their no hoodie policy. I gotta admit, I just gotta check in real quick with the audience who's who's listening to us. This show has been a downer so far. Like it, it, it and I, I just gotta, I just gotta be. Wait, I know that you guys are out there. It's actually taking a toll on me. It's gotta be a downer. This is fucking disgusting. Like if I, this is what I want to know from black student athletes that are listening to this. I am, I am opening up the floor. This is what I'm doing right now. And Rachel, hopefully you'll support this idea. Black student athletes that have played any sport anywhere at any time. I am giving you an open forum to come on higher learning and tell your tales of mistreatment. Because something like this, I cannot imagine what it was like for those brothers to be in there and see something like this. So anybody anywhere that has a story to tell about being mistreated at a university or a place that is required, that, that, that is relying on you for all of this money that they make off these sports, you can come on here and hire learning to talk about it because this shit is going too fucking far. Rachel, what do you think? What the fuck? I, I don't know if I've ever heard anything this egregious. I, I mean, like, in a long time. I'm sure it's happened before. Not this, but something on this level. I'm telling you, it's shocking to me that this didn't come out sooner because apparently this happened in 2017, I believe. But I think the fact that it didn't shows how much control these coaches and these programs have over these student athletes because they were probably terrified to say something because they thought that they would be punished and it would take away their opportunity. They were probably scared to challenge Urban Meyer or any other of the other coaches or this staffer, because let's be honest, this is an Urban Meyer program. He knows this program from the top to the bottom. That video was not shown without his knowledge, without his approval. Mm. This was not just some- You don't think that's possible? I, I do not believe, and even if 
he just said, hey, no, no hoodie pol uh, policy that a staffer did. There's no way that he didn't have knowledge that this happened. Somebody talked about it. You know what I mean? And was this staffer, did, and he, the fact that he denied it, and then he was like, oh yeah, no, 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 no. To me, there is no way that he didn't know this, this didn't happen. I think it just shows how much he didn't care. The fact that you could have said, hey, we have a no hoodie policy. It could have been a bullet point. It could have just been a word of slide. But instead, you chose to emphasize that by putting up a picture of Trayvon Martin. It's I cannot imagine how triggering that must have been for those black student athletes who were sitting in that classroom or coaches on the staff. I know it's not an all white team. I mean, a team of coaches at that time. And I'm thinking he has no respect or regard for black students and student athletes. But we knew this. This is just now coupled with how he handled the hiring of Chris Doyle. At a time when this country, he hired Chris Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach, to be that coach of, um, to hold that position for the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you guys don't know this, when this guy was the uh, head strength and conditioning coach for Iowa, University of Iowa, he was fired from that in June 2020 when it came out that after dozens and dozens of black players said he was racist and abusive towards them, he would say things to them like he preferred uh, the white athletes over the black ones and would say things to the black players like, hey, go back to the ghetto. He was fired for that after this country went through a racial racial awakening in 2020 and the school was recognizing he was problematic and took action, even though they probably already knew it before, that was their response to what was happening in the country. And what does Urban Meyer do? He hires him after that. So did not care who he was offending, specifically black people, he didn't give a fuck about them. So now you couple that with what he did with this Trayvon Martin hoodie picture, he don't care. He don't care about black people, their feelings, what they're going through in this country, or them as his as his student athletes or professional players. He's a piece of shit. Woo! We never we never Get see him wrench. on our screens again. You will. This is so disgusting. You will. Who do you think you is going to hire? Tell me who you think would hire. Oh, he'll get hired somewhere. Who would be that? Like that's a bold move. Oh, they'll definitely hire Urban Meyer. But like who? Like a bar stools? No, 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 no. I'm not talking like <laughs> <laughs> bar stools, multiple, not just one bar stool. Bar stools sports. Like it's multiple multiple stools. Um no, but so Urban Meyer's gonna get a job somewhere. The television, the television thing, uh to your point, might might be a little tougher sell, but if you're let's say, let's say let me let me let's say right now you're you're uh you're like the University of Ohio Bobcats or you're like um Colorado State or Utah State or one of those programs which is great programs for what they are in the group of five and you want to win some games and you'll hire Urban Meyer and then after he wins there for a couple years in a spot like that Urban Meyer could get another power five job. If Urban Meyer, if Urban Meyer wants to coach high level college football again, he will get the opportunity. He is 
it's the way it goes. Now there are other guys like Art. There are other guys like Art Bryles and guys like that that probably never will again. But like Urban Meyer, he, he he's won everywhere he's been. Two national championships in Florida, one at Ohio State. He's won everywhere he's been. Like he's there's some program out there, right? You mean to tell me right now? You mean to tell me right now if Florida State if Florida State, three, four years down the line, keeps losing like they're losing right now, and they can have Urban Meyer and turn it back around, he's still in his 50s. They wouldn't hire him? I don't believe it. They would. You guys, don't play for him. He has already and, – and, and you don't want to be a part of a program that disregards everything that Urban Meyer has done. So if a school – if any program hires him, they're basically telling you they don't give a fuck about you as a student athlete. They're basically telling you that. Because yeah, he's Texas kicking, he's kicking white players. He's kicking white players. And, and he's like disrespecting black ones. Texas Texas would hire him. Don't do my school like that. Don't do that. Because we haven't done that yet. We have morals. We have Texas. standards. Don't Texas do that. Will hire. Don't do that. Texas give him a shot. Get down there to Texas. <laughs> while, while, while I'm talking about that, the school that would probably more than... Be more likely to give him a shot with BLSU. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> Urban Meyer's a piece of shit, though. Rest in peace to Trayvon Martin. Um, uh, there's a Kentucky teacher that got in a physical altercation with a black student. His name is William Bennett. Uh, he's a science teacher at Marlon C. Moore School in Louisville. He was fired in December. Just caught on video fighting a 16-year-old student named Jameer Strain. He apparently told Jameer Strain that he was just another black boy that got shot he told him you're going to end up in the streets dead uh there's video of this out there we talked to the secretary of education earlier today uh i am wondering about the when we think about this in the urban my situation about the environments that our students are learning in all the time are they learning how to be students and express what's going on in their minds and hearts? Or are they learning how to be servants of the state and victims of white supremacy? I have no words for this. I have no word. Yeah, I listen. It just makes you think, what are we not seeing? You know what I mean? This, if this, if this, and it doesn't even have to be, what are we seeing? What kind of mentality do our teachers have when they're dealing with students of color? You know, like I just, the fact that you can, Fight, put your hands, initiate a fight. That's what the accusations are. He initiated this fight with the student over a mask. It's like, what's the what kind of mentality do you have when you are educating the, our students, black and brown? I just, this is wild to me. I like we should keep everyone updated on the developments of this story because right now teachers saying one thing, students are saying something else. Um, yeah, I want to know how yeah. this develops. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no Vans very serious question of the week this week. I'm not gonna lie, the last couple of days have been a bummer. And I gotta be honest with you guys, this podcast has a lot of negative stuff in it. I'm gonna be real with you. I'll be real with you. When you do when you do a pod and the most positive thing that you had in the pod was Trudy once again showing us that let's be honest, there's not a lot of depth there when it goes on with Trudy. She's not there's, there's so she annoying. <laughs> Jeez, there's not a lot of depth there. If y'all can truly, see my face, what? Truly, Take it back. Take it back. I'm Take not saying back. that. I was chewing, so I couldn't, I, I couldn't drop that. I'm not, sure. look, I'm not saying we, I'm not saying in any way that Trudy is not 
doesn't have a lot of death. But as far as dating, it's kind of shallow. Let's be honest. It's the kind. Is it kind of me? Like what? <laughs> the niggas love me. Oh! <laughs> wait, 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 wait! They love you, Trudy. They love me. Trudy's got a whole tribe now. They do. I, I have, have a story a for you, but like I just didn't want to tell it on the spot. So <laughs> we need it. We need it. We need it. We need it, it because make us we like we three of our hear. three. We we lost three people. We, you know, you know what I mean? We fucking talked about uh, Amon Arbery. I am, I need a pick me up. This was a, a lot of weird news. What happened? What's your story? Give it to me now, Trudy. No, like I literally can't. <laughs> Is it, does it involve somebody we know? No, but like, I just gotta tell you after. Okay, well, that's fine. I just wanna go on record that's... and say that I slapped the S on my chest for this podcast because it wasn't down there. So, yeah. It was true. It, it was like, look, th- this is what I tell you guys. And it, sometimes we have to do this as, as far as podcasts is because be gentle with you with yourselves, guys. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there's a lot of news happening. We didn't even talk about the fact that the January 6th commission right now uh, is getting railroaded. We didn't even talk about the fact that the Republicans are uh, turning on into a, a, a full on. I don't even want to tell you what the, the way the way things are going right now in Washington is very, 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 very depressing. And it looks like it's going to reach a critical mass pretty soon. But I'm going to tell you something right now. This is your friend Van here. Van's talking to you. There are other things. There's always Madden. There's always something that you can go do to 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 make yourself feel good. There's all Rach. What do you do? You what do literally you do to make brought it back good? to playing football. We it's talked fine, about okay. how problematic football is. And you said, you know what, guys? There's always the NFL. That's what you just said. It's, Rachel, the reality is you can't fucking do anything anymore without it being fucking problematic. Everything's fucking problematic. I can't even watch the game tonight because I'm thinking about the players and chronic traumatic encephalopathy and what's going on in their head and things like that. What do you do, Rachel? What's the most unproblematic, wholesome, fun thing that you can do? What is it? And then Thought Warriors picking a fucking part. <laughs> tell her why she's wrong. Rachel, Like before we go, tell people what you're going to do tonight to 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 or to, to blow off steam. What do you do, Rachel? It can't be problematic, though. Okay, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, sure. I'm gonna pray. Pick to what God, heart. though? Go for it. This, that, I, I'm going to, to what pray. God, Don't though? What God is going to pray? I can find something. something. I can find something that they would make I, fun of that about. I, I, I can find something they would talk to. to they would talk about organized religion. They would talk it's about the fact religion. that the Christians were heavily prayer, involved prayer in slave not, trade, which is uh, true. Prayer it, does not have to be affiliated with a religion. People pray who aren't religious at all. They're spiritual. So come on. Come at me again. So what do they? So when you pray and you don't pray to a specific God, what are you sometimes just throwing thoughts out there and hoping that the right God themselves. hears them? Like what do you? No, who do you sometimes pray Sometimes people are manifesting. Sometimes people are speaking things into the to existence. I know people who pray to their ancestors and ask for wisdom. And oh, God, come on now, it's a lot you're right. different than that. You're, you're you're right. I can be honest with you. My father never liked that. Oh, the ancestors. Rest in peace to that. Never liked it. He was a very specific prayer man. You'd be like, I, I, if you said, rest in peace, dad, I know he's going to like this, right? If you said, yo, I speak into the universe, he'd be like, Satan is in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I'd just put it out there in the universe. And he'd be like, be careful, boy. You know, Satan is in the universe, too. 
like, there's a lot of dark forces in the universe. I don't pray to the universe. My dad would always say things. <laughs> it like, it'd be like, it was always, it was just never good enough. He'd be like, that's a blessing. He'd be like, uh, from who though? I'd be like, it's a blessing. It's from God. Satan can bless you too, boy. <laughs> you have to ask for your blessings from the right place. He'd be like, God damn. It's a blessing. I mean, it's a good thing. It's only a good thing. I don't think you call it a blessing if it came from Satan. He said Satan can bless you. He meant it too. All right, guys, look. Oh, there's a very serious question before we go. I just got uh, just got hit up that Dr. Fauci might want to come on the podcast. That's amazing. I've interviewed Dr. Fauci before. That's great. Well, but here's the thing. Here's I appreci- the- appreciate you shining on me. Oh. But like I, I don't never do it have every we, we, other podcast. But this is what I'll tell you: it is you're not going to like it because when we had when we had uh, Dr. Fauci on, it was submit your questions. You have this amount of time. You have to ask your questions in this order. They have to approve the questions. You can't deter away from it. So I don't know. I don't know if you're going to like it. That works for extra. That would not work for higher learning. Question for the Thought Warriors. Do we even want Dr. Fauci on at this point? Yes, I think they would if we could be Rachel and Van. And I'm talking Mm. Rachel from Higher Learning, not Rachel from Extra. If we can be ourselves, Mm -hmm. I think they would want us to interview him. Am I right, Thought Warriors? Let us know on Reddit. Let us know on Reddit whether or not you guys want us to even interview uh, Dr. Fauci. I say yes. But at the same time, I don't know, man. I say yes if we can go off script. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, uh, you guys go do something amazing. I'm going to watch the football game tonight. You guys can flame me about it tomorrow. I'm I'm choosing the final score. I think the final score is going to be Atlanta, uh, Alabama 28 and Georgia 24. That's the final score of the national championship game tonight. Rachel, what's your final score? Oh, did you say 28-14? I said 28-24. Okay, good. Good close game. Um, I think it's gonna be higher than that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go what I want. I'm gonna go Alabama 38. I mean, sorry, Georgia 38, Alabama 35. Okay. Oh, good. That'll be a fun game. Right. Right. That'll be a fun game. All right. Take things. Last minute field goal. Last minute field goal. <laughs> take things caps off with the nice South Learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, Bye. guys. <laughs>